0: Let's pray, our Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, thanks, to Nash, if you could get that PowerPoint working. The children of our junior church are going to be back uh, for the baptism. Uh, we sent them out because... Uh, The sermon because their questions really confuse me. (laughs) I'm kidding, they do confuse me, but that's not why we sent them out. They will be back. And if you're sitting amongst us with a child and it's making some noise, don't worry about that. Uh, We love the sound of children amongst us. If you think it is really disturbing to you or to someone else, you're welcome to take them. There is a cry room uh, at the back uh, that has uh, uh, sound as well, you'll be able to hear what's going on. But we love having you amongst us, so very. Uh, very welcome. We obviously have a lot of visitors but for those of you who have been here with us you know we've been steadily working through uh, the book the New Testament letter of James and this is the last one uh, in the series. Uh, We're looking at those a few verses from James uh, that we heard and uh, we we've learned some things about James's context the community that he lives in and and specifically the Christian community that he's a part of is one that's actually got a lot of inequality and there's tension between rich and poor. It's a community intention. There's false teaching that's enabling uh, the rich uh, to, to stay selfish uh, and for the poor to be oppressed. Uh, it's a community intention with some people upset about the status quo and deciding violence is the way, might be the best way forward uh, to bring about peace. <laughs> Uh, and they're a community that's facing a lot of opposition, even from outside them. So it's a community, James is writing a letter to, to a community that knows conflict and struggle and stress. Uh, and, and now we're coming, basically the verses that we read start the, the end of, of, of J- James's summary of what he's been saying. And he comes to this theme of patience. And if you were with us in the very first sermon, uh, James starts off his book in a ridiculous way. He says, remember, consider it joy when you endure hardships of many kinds. Uh, And James has been calling us back throughout the book uh, to say that when we see our lives through uh, the faithfulness of God, everything can be quite different. And James is now bringing us to that summary. He says to us, in effect, he says, we can be patient because God is near. I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm feeling a little bit stressed and I know it, nothing gets my blood boiling like when somebody, maybe my wife, who loves me and is saying the right thing, says to me, Etienne, just relax. Oh man, that makes me mad. (laughs) Just relax. Uh, well, I'm sorry I didn't write this, but James is saying to you four times in five verses, in effect, he's saying, relax, be patient. Literally, uh, being the word patient means to be far from rage or to be far from panic. It's helpful because we don't easily make good decisions when we panic. Uh, sometimes we do, but when we've had a lifetime of habit that has prepared us to, in an instant, to make the right decision. That, uh, that, that pilot who landed the, the plane quite famously on the Hudson River, uh, in the moment of panic, he did the right thing because he trained for years and years to know what to do in that instant. But typically, on our own, left to our own devices, we don't make very good decisions in panic. Uh, just the well-known advice to count to 10 uh, bef- be- before you say something back is a good advice. Another friend of mine, I remember he said, if, you, if you're ever making a big decision or, 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 or really saying, uh, writing a letter to someone that's really got a big thing in it, he says, write it and then put it away and come back to it tomorrow and read it again. <laughs> well, James says, he says we can be patient even in these troubled times, he's writing to them, but we can, I think, hear it for ourselves as well. Even in these troubled times, we don't have to panic. And James, because God is near. Um, maybe if you can turn, uh, I forgot to ask you, just to turn uh, to the passage uh, in the Bible in front of you. In your pew, there is uh, this Bible. Uh, and then if you turn towards the back, The numbering starts over at the New Testament. But if you turn uh, towards the back to page 300 and... Does somebody know the number? Here we go, let's find it. 340. Every now and then I'm just going to refer to some of the, the, the verses that we read. And James reminds us here as he says, Be patient because God is near. He says in in verse 7, he says, My friends, be patient until the Lord returns. Until uh, That word until in in the Greek could mean either until in terms of timing, be patient until the time of the Lord's return. It could also mean purpose. Be patient for the purpose of the Lord's return. Be patient as you wait for the purpose of the Lord's return. He says in verse 8, he says, The Lord will soon be here. He says in verse 9, the judge is right outside the door. Uh, More literally, it says the judge is at the door. We don't know whether he's outside or inside, but he's at the door. He's near. These verses help to describe the, the, the ambiguity of the New Testament's relationship concerning the coming of God. The New Testament tells us, God is coming shortly, and God has arrived. And it's yes, yes to both of those. That's what we read in Mark, Jesus' words when he begins his ministry in Mark. He says this, the time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Another version, it says, the time has come. God's kingdom will soon be here. It's both that God is near and God is already here. And James says in verse 11, he hints about that when he says, in fact, he's talking about Job. He says, we praise the ones who endured the most. You remember how patient Job was and how the Lord finally helped him. But literally in the Greek translation, it says, you remember how patient Job was, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. And it's not clear whether he's talking about the purpose of the Lord in how Job's story ended, or whether he's talking about something else, the purpose of the Lord as we have seen it revealed in Jesus. In fact, that's what I'm thinking about. There's something quite amazing that James does uh, in these verses. It's hidden to us. But he uses, every time you see the word the Lord, he uses kurios, kurios. uh, The phrase that the early church used to describe Jesus as Lord. And what he does in this passage is he takes some definitions that were used to describe God and God alone. And Jews who are strictly monotheistic, there is only one God and he is Yahweh. And Yahweh is full of grace, full of compassion and merciful. And James says, "Kyrios is full of mercy mercy and grace. For any Jew hearing that, they are saying, "Kyrios is Yahweh amongst us. Yahweh has come amongst us, and we've seen the purpose. We've seen the, we've seen the goal. Literally, that wording is, um, sorry, let me just find it. Where did I write it down? I can't find it. Literally, it means you've seen the end, the telos. You've seen the goal, the purpose of the Lord in Koreas. We can be patient because God is near. It's a perspective on life. It's a perspective on life, but it's a perspective that changes everything. I, I've really gotten into soccer over the last few years, and, and those of you uh, who are amongst us at St. Michaels will know that uh, Liverpool is my team. They have a very charismatic coach, Jürgen Klopp, Uh, uh, and he seems to be a fantastic coach. But reading in one of the articles, uh, it was entitled, The Most Important Five Minutes in the Dressing Room. And it was the assistant coach who said, The most important time in that dressing room is after the match, when Jürgen Klopp addresses the team. And he says he has a way of shaping their perspective about what's just happened. That changes everything. Whether they've lost, whether they've won, he knows how to reframe what has happened that helps them to move forward in the right way. It's the perspective that's changed everything. Now, it's important that this perspective needs to be helpful. It's important that this perspective needs to be true, but it can change everything. And James says, we can be patient Because you are not in control. Relax. You're not in control. You also don't have to ignore things. You don't have to stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and just say, well, I'm not in control. I can't change this world, but I'm just going to ignore everything. We don't need to do that either. James says, don't panic. Be patient. God. The judge that we need is near. God, the redeemer that we need, is near. Baptism says we accept this perspective. We receive this good news, and we choose to live our lives from this perspective. It doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. In fact, it's what gets us going. We patiently prepare for God's help to come along. We begin to live in a way that expects that God will intervene at the right time and in the right way, in God's time and in God's way. We often won't see the big picture or the fulfillment of it. But we can be patient because we trust God. It's like the farmer, James says, who's looking forward to the harvest. And so he patiently waits for the rain. Just think about it for a minute. He's got no control over the rain. Nothing. He can do nothing. Well, he can try darn whatever, but... He himself doesn't have control over it. But he does have a part to play. If, if he, or actually if, let's say, she, if she, I was just thinking, I read a book about a family member of mine, a lady, who, who, uh, my great-grandmother, who near the age of 80 decided she wanted to start, uh, she had a, a piece of land in Botswana uh, in, 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 in the mid-1900s. She wanted to go farming. <laughs> she started farming uh, there near the, near the age of 80, so I'm going to use it. Uh, She's no control over the rain, but she has a part to play. If she waits for the rain before making a move, she'll be too late. So, she sees beyond the present lack, and she works faithfully to prepare for the coming rain. You know, sometimes this can look a little crazy. Especially to those who don't understand, especially to those who don't share the same perspective. And sometimes even to the ones who do, it still seems a little crazy. But just like the farmer's actions are reframed by what she knows about the coming rain, we wait patiently We allow our present actions and our present attitudes to be reframed by what Jesus has shown us about the coming kingdom of God. This is what Jesus calls, we repent and we believe the good news. We choose to forego our fixation on our own opinion. We choose to forego being limited by our current context. We choose instead to trust in God's faithfulness. And we ask God to remold our plans towards God's purposes. And we ask God to shape our character into God's likeness. Just some examples. We could prepare by reading the Bible again. And again, that crazy old book that confuses us and upsets us and bores us. And yet when we sit with it, we begin to see it makes more sense and it's more life-giving than any we've ever come across. We choose to prepare by upholding godly standards in our families in our workplace, in our churches, not because it's popular, not because it's even profitable. It's probably not the most profitable way. But because in the light of the coming kingdom of God, this is the harvest of peace and righteousness that lasts. We prepare by praying for our enemies and for asking God's help To help us to love those who persecute us. It's one of the most difficult things we could do, but the most transformative thing we might ever experience. We prepare patiently for God's help to come along, reframed by the light of God's coming kingdom. James says we can be patient, God is near. But James wants us to know what this God is like. He says we can be patient because this God that is near is gracious. You see, the farmer can prepare and it makes sense for him to do so, but it's the undeserved rain that makes all the difference. We can be patient because God is gracious. It's the undeserved intervention of God in our lives and in our world. Of all of this, James sums it up. He says, in, in a way, it sums it up. He says, at the end of verse 11, he says, be patient. All of these things, he says, the Lord is, Oh, sorry, I'm looking at a different version. He says, the Lord did this because he is so merciful and kind. He says in, the, uh, in another version, the NIV, says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What better thing is there for you and for me to claim than the grace of God? What better thing in the world is there than this? Our lives begin in grace, says the baptism service. Lord, you forgive us. You love us. You fill us with your spirit. Our lives begin in grace. Our lives end in grace. At our funeral service, we will be prayed for. Lord, we entrust this one into your care, into your love. Grace at the start, grace at the end, and there's grace for the journey. It's the best thing that we've got the undeserved love of Jesus. And so we choose to fill our vision with the glory of God who is gracious. James says, remember the Lord who sustained the prophets. He says, remember Job who experienced the Lord's redemption even amidst great suffering. James says, remember the kurios, remember the Lord in whom we've seen the gracious purpose of God, full of grace and mercy. We choose to fill our vision with the glory of the grace of God. And we need the help of a faithful community to remember. Especially when we're panicking, we need to pause and remember. And so our stories that we tell The scripture that we read, the songs that we sing, the sacraments that today we'll see in baptism and in the Eucharist are all about remembering the holy love of God for us in Jesus, allowing this vision, this perspective of God's to transform our lives. It says, in effect, God's grace is enough. I don't know what you face today, this week, what you faced in your past, what lies ahead of you in your future. The gospel proclaims for you God's grace is enough. God is faithful. He's shown his great love and his great strength for you in Jesus. And it's the best thing that you've got to claim in this world. That's what allows us to be patient. God's grace is enough. And if we are a community and a people of grace, patience is is one of the fruits. But the other one that will be most evident in our lives, Karl Barth says, if we are a community of God's grace, we will be marked by gratitude. Praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. Gratitude will flow from our lips, not grumbling. Uh, So James says, the judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against one another. He says, be grateful for one another. We are so good at looking at one another and seeing each other's faults. What about looking at that same person and seeing what God, something good about that person And giving thanks to God for that. Because that's when God has looked at you. He can see one who's been made in his image and he longs to be gracious to you. If you feel like your your life is void of grace, maybe the best thing you can do is to give lavish thanks to God. Start praising God. Start reminding yourself what God is like and singing it out. Sing these songs that we've put up. Give thanks. You might find yourself being filled with new hope and joy. Being transformed by the grace of God. The baptismal life that begins is sustained by the Eucharistic life. It's our two great sacraments. We're baptized that sets us off on the journey. But the thing that keeps us going is the Eucharist. Time and again, Eucharist means the great thanksgiving. Time and again, our lives are are reframed above all about the great love that God has shown for us in Jesus. Baptism sets us off on a spiritual journey of growing together in the grace of God. Giving us new reason to be patient and grateful because the judge that we need is near. Because the redeemer that we need is near. Where are you on this? Maybe you can use our service today as we reflect on the baptism service as we come to Eucharist. You Use it as a chance to reflect for yourself. You don't have to come up and participate. You Don't feel bad at all but you can also use it as a chance to rededicate yourself and be strengthened for this journey in your life. Let us pray. And if I could ask, maybe David, if you could go call the, the junior church so long to come back. And then we'll move into our baptism. baptisms. Lord, we thank you for your undeserved grace. Lord, for the rain that comes, Lord, there are seasons of drought and hardship, but Lord, even the fact that we're here and that there's ever been rain is undeserved. And so, Lord, we pray that as we gather together this morning, may your spirit remind us of great love for us, love that is stronger than death, love that is able to forgive and to reconcile. Your grace doesn't make sense in our accounting, Lord but it's exactly what's missing in our world. And so, Lord, would you pour out your Spirit afresh upon us as we try as best as we can, we set our eyes, our vision on you, the God of grace, of holy love, full of grace and truth. Come and fill us with new hope and patience today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.